0: For all the listeners, I am it's my my privilege to have Stefan Casriel, the CEO of Upwork. And let me tell you a little bit about Stefan before we get right into the interview. Uh, Stefan is the CEO of Upwork and co-chair of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Education and Work. Stefan is driving the company's vision of connecting businesses with great talent to work without limits. He's an expert on working with professionals around the world, having also managed the company's global global tech team of 300 plus product managers, designers, and engineers. Stefan has, Stefan has over 16 years of leadership experience. Previously, he was global head of PayPal consumer products, global head of PayPal mobile business development, and managing director of PayPal France. He's held leadership roles at pioneering companies, including Fireclick, World4, and Zong, and was a founder of Fireclick and Goods. Uh, The WEF, Harvard Business Review, Fortune, and Blue Bloomberg View have featured him on topics including future of work, the impacts of AI, and how to strengthen our global economy. Recent talks include WF Davos, uh, Lisbon Web Summit, and lectures at Harvard Business School and University of California, Berkeley. Uh, Stefan holds an MBA from INSEAD, master's from Stanford in computer science, and a BS from Ecole Polytechnic in France. Whew! <laughs> Wow, we're 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 in we're in the midst of somebody who's uh very experienced and talented and able to join us today to talk about the future of work. So again, welcome Stefan.
1: Excited to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So let's get right into the questions because I know my viewers, my followers are very interested in the future of work. They want to know and hear from people just like yourself who are actually living and leading in my opinion, Upwork is on the leading edge of the future of work, just by the sheer nature of your work. So tell us a little bit from your perspective, what is your opinion of the future of work? Like, Where are we going globally? Um, sure. In yeah. regards to the future of work. Yeah. So let me start
1: maybe by talking a little bit about Upwork, what we do, why we do it, and then maybe frame it sure. back into the bigger picture of the future of work, right? So we operate a website, and obviously a mobile app as well, that connects businesses with freelancers all around the world. So there's about 5 million businesses on one side, about 15 million freelancers on the other side. They transact over a billion dollars and a half, so 1.5 billion every year. And we do this across 100 categories and 5,000 skills. So we specialize in knowledge work, So this is not the place where you would find a construction worker or a retail worker or somebody in hospitality. This is the place where you would find designers, engineers, consultants, lawyers, accountants, salespeople, customer support reps, basically jobs that can be done remotely in front of a phone or in front of a computer. Right? So that's what we do. Why we do it and why we think this is part of the future of work is because the nature of work itself is changing and if you think about the jobs that are being created in the world today knowledge work um, are very different from the jobs of the first industrial revolution you know the, the manual blue-collar work at the assembly line however the way we do these jobs is actually very similar to how we organized work in the first industrial revolution you know all of the the ideas around fordism and terrorism and the whole idea of the nine to five full-time on-site type of job was created for the assembly line. You know, the idea that for the factory to operate, everybody needs to be at the same place at the same time, working to- together to make the machines work so that you would produce the widgets. That is not something that makes a ton of sense in the, you know, the, what the World Economic Forum calls the fourth industrial revolution where jobs can be done from anywhere. And the real scarcity right now is talent, And in particular, increasingly the location where the jobs are is not aligned with the location where people are and want to be and so you've got on one side cities like san francisco which have very low unemployment or potentially negative unemployment rates extremely high cost of living extremely high wages and meanwhile just a couple hundred miles away you've got people that are quite talented wanting to work really hard potentially reskilling themselves but because they are too far away to have access to those jobs, don't have access to the economic opportunities. So that's the vision for the company, right? The reason why we created Upwork was to say, the current labor market is not operating properly anymore. It's highly inefficient and people will be better off and companies will be better off if we can design a marketplace, you know, that's what we've built, but a website that allows people to work remotely, right? Now in the bigger picture of the future of work, you know, what what uh, what we're looking at in the report that we just published in Davos was this idea that the future is not set, you know There's there's been a lot of people trying to predict, you know Either the doom and gloom future what we call the terminator scenario where you know AI and robots are going to take over the world and at best we'll have universal basic income But fundamentally, there's not a ton of place for humans in that future and that's you know one one very pessimistic and very dystopian view that some pundits have had. There's the other scenario, which I would call the denial scenario, saying hey, if is fine, the good jobs of the 60s are coming back and everything's going to be beautiful. And frankly, neither of these two scenarios is particularly likely to happen, but there's a bunch of other things that are likely to happen. And the report we just published in Davos, the idea was to say, look, the future is not set. We get to shape, you know, we leaders in the yep. economy get to shape the future and there are some scenarios that are very positive, some scenarios that are much more challenging. How do we make sure that we end up in one of the desirable scenarios and what do we need to do in order to get there? And specifically what we were saying is there's three key dimensions in the future of work. One is how fast will technology evolve, right? So there's the AI proponents you know, uh, camp that would say, Uh, AI is exponential. It's going to happen really quickly. And then there are some people that are saying, look, we've we've heard this before. This is the third time people are talking about AI. It's been going on for 50 years. Like realistically, it's not happening that fast. But there's a question of is technology going fast or is it going slow? There's a separate dimension, which is the skills dimension. You know, if people Are getting retrained quickly. It's very different than if people are not getting retrained quickly right and specifically if technology evolves evolves fast and people don't get retrained then yes, you could end up with a scenario where um, Companies are forced to use even more machines because people don't have the skills that are needed to uh, get work done anymore. There's a third dimension which people tend to not talk about as much, even though it's very critical. It's geography, you know where the jobs are. And where people are, and at that point, there's essentially two scenarios: one which is good matching between uh, the supply and the demand, meaning people are in the right places, mm-hmm. and then there's the, I would say, highly polarized scenario, which arguably is where we are today, where people who live in the cities that are doing well tend to be doing well themselves, and the people that live somewhere else tend to really struggle. And you know, even in that scenario, there's kind of two ways you can get to matching. One is to do what we've done traditionally in in most countries, which is to try to get the workers to move to where the work is, uh, which has been the the approach of the first two industrial revolution. People moved from the farms to uh, the assembly line. Or you can have what I would call the 21st century approach, which is to do the opposite, which is moving the work to where people want to work and allowing people to work remotely. But either way, the outcome is one where The supply and the demand are matched geographically in a way that is efficient which obviously creates a happier scenario than if people are in in, you know places where they don't have access to jobs right so yeah two by two by two dimensions you know technology going fast or slow education and reskilling going fast and slow and matching between uh, the geography of jobs and geography of people either good or bad. And so two by two by two is eight. And so we published this report about the eight scenarios and talking about, you know, what works well or doesn't work well, how do we get there? How do we prevent them? And that's been really one of the key topics in Davos this year.
0: So when is that report being available, uh, Stefan? That that sounds very fascinating. It's it's
1: out today. You go to the uh, website of the World Economic Forum, uh, and there's a system initiative called Education, Gender, and Work. And from there, there's all the white papers we've been publishing in the last couple of years, but the latest, latest one is eight scenarios for the future of work.
0: Wonderful, that's fantastic. And as you were talking, you already answered my next question, which was about technology. So you talked about that in your answer that you just gave. Um, what do you think, like what is happening philosophically, culturally, psychologically, that people are being more drawn to freelancing and entrepreneurism, notwithstanding the geography that you mentioned, but, but what do you think is going on as a, a cultural, ethos, if you will, that's driving all this change?
1: Yeah, so I think, I mean, overall, there's three things that are driving this freelancing you know, economy, right? So what, what we are predicting is that 50% of the US workforce will be freelancing within 10 years. It's yes. already you know significantly above a third now. Uh, and it's growing three times faster than the overall uh, working population in the US, right? And so mm-hmm. it is big and it's growing really fast. Um, what's driving it is three different things. One is the fact that you can. Right, and so the the fact that technology, you know, the conversation we're having right now, you know, for your listeners, it might not be obvious, we're not in the same room. And by the way, the people that are listening to us are also not in the same room. Um, What we're doing right now would have been really challenging 10 or 15 years ago, and we take it for granted today, right? So this idea that everything is in the cloud, everybody has broadband, or at least a a lot of people have access to broadband, video conferencing is free and ubiquitous. You know, Every device we have seems to have a, a camera that is HD and all of that. So all of these mm-hmm. things that we take for granted are a key enabler to uh, allowing people to freelance and to work remotely. So that's one. Yes. Um, the second one is companies themselves, right? I mean, the, the, the skills uh, that p- companies need are changing faster than they ever have, which is this whole topic of the fourth industrial revolution yes. that we talk about within the farm is this idea of an acceleration of the pace of change, and in particular the pace of change of skills, and when uh, skills become more specialized and they move faster, uh, labor economists would say, well, then companies are less likely to have employees and more likely to have freelancers because you know you can't justify having all of the skills that you need full time, always available, and always perfectly trained. So there's a lot of economic theory behind the fact that the demand is there. You know, the companies themselves. Are, uh, you know, expecting more people to be financing because of the pace of change, but then on the supply side, the workers themselves. You know, a key part of what's been happening is, um, uh, you know, changes of behaviors across the three generations in the workforce, right? And so the most obvious one, the one that you know everybody always talks about, is the millennials, right? So the younger generation that is now the largest generation in the in the in the workforce. Has a very different uh, perspective to work compared to my generation. You know, I look at my my dad worked at the same company for forty years. I've typically worked at the same company for ten years, and the young people typically, you know, if they have a choice, will be moving jobs every couple of years, right? And so, yeah. part of it is just a, a the young generation is driving this. They're twice as likely to be financing compared to the older generations in the workforce, and that doesn't seem to change as. They themselves are getting, you know, slightly older and getting married and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also happening across the other two generations in the workforce. So if I look at, you know, my generation, the Gen X, a lot of it is driven by uh, the personal constraints that people have in their life, and it could be young children, it could be elderly parents, it could be spouse mobility. If your husband or your wife or your partner was relocated to another part of the country, and especially if it happens regularly for you to be able to keep the same work and do it remotely and do it on your own schedule and do it as a freelancer, it's a huge, huge enabler. Mm -hmm. And then what we're starting to see, uh, which we show in the report that we publish every year called Freelancing in America, um, if you look at the numbers, there's something like 16 million Americans who are age uh, 55 and above that are also freelancing mm-hmm. and that is only going to continue to grow and what's really happening there is people retire at the age of you know 55 60 62 yep. or what have you and you know in prior generations your life expectancy from that age was relatively short and yes. that has changed a lot and so you know one of two things can happen either a you've got enough uh, you know savings to actually stay for a long time but you realize that playing golf, and whatever else you thought was going to be amazing does not keep you as intellectually satisfied as you wanted to so you come back to the workforce willingly or in many cases people you know thought that they reha- they had saved enough but they haven't and right. they actually need the extra income and so either way what you see from that generation is the idea of going back into yet another full time job with a boss and the grind of the of the traditional employment market is not something that they aspire yeah. to do and so they come back with a lot of skills, a lot of knowledge, and they come back as freelancers.
0: Yeah, no, that's 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 actually, this. you know, my research, as you know, my, I live and breathe future of work as well. And I think I read a statistic that the average age of retirement is being extended to 75 because of life expectancy extension and exactly what you just said, quality of life. And a lot of baby boomers are still funding their millennial children's lifestyle and their entrepreneurial venture. Yeah. So there's economic reality there. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you just a few more questions because I'm, I'm cognizant of our time here. Um, how can the organizations, like the businesses, the business leaders that are listening to this, how can they take advantage of the freelance economy to grow their business? What, what can they do?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, okay. you, you, it's a change, right? It's a pretty big change in how companies get organized mm-hmm. and like any change mm-hmm. process, you start with the easy stuff first and you mm-hmm. get traction and then you get to the more complex stuff. Right. So I would say, the easy things is the things that you would have given to a vendor anyway, right? So the things that you would have done with a marketing agency or with a law firm or with your accounting firm or any of these, you know, outsource service providers, if you will, think about doing it with a freelancer or a group of freelancers instead. And, you know, that's easy because the work was not going to be done by your employees anyway. It was going to be done remotely anyway. And, By the way, you'll save a lot of money because those companies tend to take a pretty hefty margin on top of how much they pay their workers. So it's a case where The workers are better off and and your company is going to be better off by cutting out the middleman essentially but but more importantly, it gets you uh, into, you know, the, the zone of how you engage with freelancers and you learn how to make it work effectively. And then you're going to things that are potentially a little bit more complex. So you look at things that maybe you would have done with a staffing agency, you know, staff augmentation type of work, right. where you would have hired the person through the staffing firm, and they would have come on site. And instead of that, you're going to have people that are remote and they're going to be independent contractors, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the really, I would say more longer term play, which is how does HR procurement and just generally the executive team in the company think much more strategically about workforce planning you know if you think about how big companies today tend to operate human resources tends to be in charge of full-time employees and procurement tends to be in charge of every type of contingent worker and managers when they make uh, decisions on you know which way to go tend to do it based on their budgets so if you have a rack you hire an employee and if you don't have a rag but you have you know a budget to go hire a contractor or a consultant or a freelancer and that is not a particularly uh, strategic way of doing it. There right. are types of uh, activities that can be best done using freelancers and there are types of activities that are much better done by employees and there are best practices out there and we you know obviously we're happy to go and uh, help and consult with these companies to help them uh, do it more, much more strategically but fundamentally, as work gets reorganized to be more project-based and more team-based and as work becomes more, um, you know, specialized, there is a a need for a mix of traditional full-time employees that may be on site or maybe remote and then freelancers that may come in and out of a specific project, but could still be reused by the same company many, many times. What we see a lot, especially with big companies is a given freelancer will be used uh, you know, by multiple managers across uh, the course of multiple years, and so over time they learn how to operate. You know, within the environment of that company, and they get better and better at it over time.
0: Yeah, no, and that to me, what you're saying is, I think that's exactly right. Is the strategy around that that future of work embodiment of, and and this where I was talking to her about this, and she said, oh, HR won't do that. They're not very progressive. Or they won't be open to it. So what I still see in a lot of organizations is they want to protect the status quo in some ways because the changes that need to be made requires leadership change, requires uh, structural change. It's, it 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 does require a, a move away from what they've known to do for the last the last few decades. So. Um, I appreciate the way you said that.
1: Yeah, but I think the key the key is what you know I started with, which is you start with the yeah. easy stuff. You know, if you yeah. if you say, oh, Well, it's this huge change, it's very intimidating. Nobody likes change. Nobody right. wants to, you know, like That's if, right. If you're an HR leader and you've been operating in a certain way for the last 10, 15, 20 or more years, the idea that somebody comes in and says you have to change everything is not something that you're necessarily very <laughs> excited about. But if you take it one step at a time and you say this is What you can try for the next couple of years and then this is a logical step for the next two or three years after that and then progressively things will become much more obvious to you and uh, it won't feel like a big change after all
0: yeah no that's very well said so um tell us a little bit about how upwork uses freelancers i'm sure people are curious like upwork is a a company of freelancers how do you leverage freelancers in the business yeah
1: of course so the you know the company has about 300 employees and then at any point in time there's about 700 other people that are freelancing from um i think we said recently about 400 different cities in the world I think one thing we are cognizant about is, is time zones. So we try to make sure that people that need to work together have time zones that have enough overlap; they can be effective. We don't want people to have to work, you know, in the middle of the night every day. It's just not sustainable. But other than that, once you're committed to this idea that um, you know remote work can work, and that you're organizing people and you're training people to communicate well with each other in a remote environment, um, after that location really does not matter, and you really truly hire the best possible talents. You hire people typically much faster than you would through the local job market. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you save yourself money because you don't have to pay the salaries of you know San Francisco and New York or wherever else your company is based. And so it's really a win-win where workers get paid more than through their local job markets. The company gets access to talent that we would struggle to hire, let alone retain, uh, if we were, you know, doing it here locally in San yes. Francisco. And it's, yeah. you know, it's a place where everybody wins. And we do this across Pretty much every role in the company, we have uh, people in the legal team, people in the accounting team, uh, a huge part of our engineering team is is distributed, uh, most of the operations team. But we have, I would say, designers, marketing people, salespeople, all over the place. And um, you know, I think there's a learning curve. To be fair, like I don't think that you can switch from 100% on-site to 100% remote overnight. But right. you take it, you know, one step at a time, yeah. and you. Uh, figure out what the best practices are and you train your managers properly and you realize that progressively you're not valued.
0: Yeah. Well one thing I observed when I worked with you and, and your team was that even your employees are remote. Like you're they're all over the world. And so um, you know I interviewed Shoshana as you know and mm-hmm. talking about remote teams and how you know, and so I think you're a great model of not only the freelance economy, but the remote worker reality. I think a lot of companies are trying to figure out, and, you know, you said you see a future where there will be employees still, you know, as part of the company or organization, oh, sure. and there will be freelancers, but in my experience, the the skill set of a freelancer is different than an employee, so that's part of the process too, right, is who's best suited for those those functions, right,
1: and yeah. those rules. Yeah, yeah. We, we call them hybrid teams, right? There are people yes. that are local, people that are remote, yes. people that are full-time, people that are freelancers. By the yes. way, these are not static definitions. Some people might be remote for a couple of years and they'll come back on site. Some people yes. might be, you know, full-time employees who decide that they can't commit to being full-time employees anymore. They come back and work with you as freelancers. You know, maybe they have young children and they just don't want to yes. do full-time thing. but maybe after a couple of years they come back. Yes. These things are going to be much more continuous and much more fluid in the future than they've been in the past. And I think it's up to companies if they want to attract the talent, if they want to retain the talent to engage with the talent, the way the talent wants to be engaged.
0: I completely agree. And the flexibility of what you just described means you're going to hold on to talented people a lot longer because sure. there's so many options for how they can work. So fantastic. Is there anything you'd like to share with with the uh, the listeners or the viewers about Upwork that you think they need to check out before before I let you go? And you, I think and you know about your company. Yeah, you know, I
1: think people should check out the site. But I would say, in just about every function you may have um, in your corporation, there are probably things that you can have other people do for you better than you doing it yourself. And I would say, you know, the perfect example in in human resources is okay, I haven't looked recently, but I think there's about fifty thousand people that do sourcing on Upwork. Yeah. Um, right. This yeah. is something that if you're an HR leader and you spend a ton of time with your talent acquisition, your recruiting team, uh, you know, sourcing through different, you know, uh, sources of of, uh, of uh, resumes, there are people on Upwork that can do this for you, and they'll obviously be ex- extremely excited to work with you. And it sets the model. You know, if you do it within your own organization, it's much easier to then go help other parts of your company do it. So I always right. tell procurement leaders. And human resources leaders, you know, if you're going to try to promote this within your organization, then uh, within your, you know, bigger company then start with your own department. uh, Because you gain a lot of credibility. If you can show that you're using it and you have metrics to show why it made sense for you. Then you have a lot of credibility when you go to the marketing organization or the operations team or the engineering team. And you can say, look, we've done this within our, our own department and it really has added a lot of value.
0: Yeah. So you're saying like do a beta test in your own department so that you can prove that it's effective. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Yeah. Eat your own dog Very good. Food. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just finally, before I, I let you go, cause I really am inspired whenever I connect with you. Um, what is your leadership philosophy? Like what is your belief on how you get people to work well for you and to stay engaged?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, it's a very long discussion. I don't know if that yeah. in a couple of minutes yeah. I can answer it, but I, I would your, your say
0: shortest version.
1: <laughs> I, I would say one of the beautiful things about engaging with global talent like this is that you can truly hire people that a are amazing at what they do, which is inspiring for everybody else in the organization and b are really passionate about your company and the role that they're going to play in. So when you have people that are really good and really uh, engaged you end up with very good results. And I would say the only thing that I would add to this is get out of the way, right? So once you have a great team of amazing people that are super inspired about what they do, the last thing they want is for me to be bossy and tell them what to do, right? Right. So obviously we, you know, have a strategy, we have a budget, we have what every other company has. But generally speaking, I think my main role is to set overall vision and overall culture and make sure we never compromise on the talent that we, attract to the organization, but then after that, try not to micromanage and to really let people do their best.
0: Mm, wonderful. Well, I'm really, really appreciative of your time. And I know that those that are listening to you are just walking away with a whole bunch of things to think about. So thank you so much, Stefan. And um, I wish you all the best. And I hope that we'll work together soon in, in, in the next few months. So Sounds come good. Come.
1: Thanks, Thanks again. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.